I did not put out a new episode last week as originally planned, but basically we received some unfortunate news about my husband's health a few days after I put out the last episode, and I won't get into it really, but since we since then we found out the plan of action and he's going to be okay. Thank the Lord. So I do have some friends and family that listen to the podcast. So thank you to all of you for your prayers and kind words. But anyways, thank you for sticking with me and welcome back to the podcast. I'm super excited to be back and I've missed it so much for sure. And boy, let me tell you, do we have a crazy case for today. Let's just say my daughter is never allowed to have friends. (laughs) You think I'm kidding and I'm not so sure I am. guess we'll see. Anyways, but without further ado, let's finally get into a new episode and discuss the murder of Skylar Niece. Skylar Annette Niece was born on February 10th, 1996. She was the only child to Dave and Mary Niece. In 2012, Mary was working as an administrative assistant in a cardiac lab, and Dave was a product assembler at Walmart. At the time, Skylar was 16 years old, and she was attending University High School in Morgantown, West Virginia, where she was an honor student. Now, typically our cases take place in smaller cities or towns, but Morgantown is one of the larger cities in West Virginia, and um, it's my understanding that it was kind of the outskirts of Star City. Morgantown had a population of about 30,000. But anyways, I mentioned Skylar was very smart. She had a 4.0 GPA. She was in all honors classes as well. And needless to say, she was excelling in school. And she even wanted to become a criminal lawyer as well. But all that being said, she was definitely not a nerd. She was very outgoing, very funny. Her parents, who she was extremely close with, said that since birth, she has had a huge personality. And when Skylar was little, she met a little girl named Sheila Eddy when the two were about eight years old or so. The two met when they both lived in Cheat Lake, and they became instant best friends. The two did not attend the same school, though, growing up, but they did remain pretty close and stayed in contact. They were both the only children in their household, and They had several other similarities, and they just really hit it off and became like sisters. Now, when it came time for the two to go to high school, though, Sheila's family actually moved to Morgantown, where Skylar lived, and the two girls were finally able to attend the same school. So, they started high school together at University High. It was after starting high school that Skylar and Sheila met Rachel Schof, and this duo became a trio, pretty much. They all became inseparable. And that being said, Rachel was much different than these other two girls. She was a singer. She was an aspiring actress. Her family was extremely religious. I mean, she was just very different from the other two. But either way, they all meshed very well and became super close friends. They became such close friends, in fact, that other students in the school said you never saw one without seeing the other two. Like They were all three glued at the hip, it seemed like. Now, once the group of girls started all hanging out, they became little troublemakers, if you will. They started going to parties, drinking, smoking weed was one of their big things. They were staying out past curfew, even like sneaking out of their houses to meet up, that sort of thing. And they became your 
you're just a typical rebellious teen girls, right? But everyone pretty much agreed that Sheila was the ringleader of the group. She kind of stirred up the trouble and put the girls up to these sorts of things. And this is a little concerning to other friends of Skylar and Rachel. Their friends said that this was just not the type of people they were. Rachel didn't really have any other friends like Sheila. This was the only group of friends that she could really have this kind of fun with, quote-unquote. Um, and Skylar had been friends with Sheila for so long that she really just didn't think much about it. Um, she just thought, you know, this is, this is what high school people do. They go to parties and they, you know, get into a little trouble here and there. She didn't think too much about it. But her friends obviously were a little concerned with her new found attitude. <laughs> now... The group of girls continued their rebellious ways pretty much all throughout their freshman year in high school. However, other students would later say that something happened to the group of girls during the summer of 2011. Um, There's no reports as to what it was then, like nobody really knew at the time. But they said the dynamic between the girls definitely shifted. It was pretty obvious. But it wasn't until the summer of 2012 that everything sort of came to a head. On Thursday, July 5th, 2012, Skylar finished up a shift at the local Wendy's. She came home, she said goodnight to her parents, and she went up to her room and seemingly went to sleep. But the following morning, Dave and Mary Niece woke up and went to work as usual. Now, neither of the two went to check on Skylar. They noticed her door was still shut, so they just assumed she was still asleep because, again, this was the middle of the day, middle middle of the week, middle of the summer, so they didn't think much of it and just kind of went on about their day. Now, Dave ends up coming home from work later that day between 3 and 4 p.m., and he notices Skylar's door is still closed. He initially found it odd, of course, because although... She would sleep in most days during the summer. It was never this late in the day. Plus, she had another shift to be at Wendy's around 4 p.m. So, he decided to go in and wake her up or see what was going on. But at first, he just knocks on the door, calls out to her, and he gets no response. So, he walks into her room. It's at this point he realizes that her bed didn't appear to have been slept in the night before. He tries not to panic, of course, obviously, like, right off the bat, but he calls Sheila, Eddie, to see if she had seen or spoken to Skylar that day. Now, Sheila just says, yes, I mean, we talked at midnight or so the night before, but doesn't have any idea where she could be now or what she would be doing at this point. After further inspection of her room, though, Dave realizes that the screen on Skylar's window had been taken off and hidden in her closet. And it looked like the window had been cracked just enough to where someone might get slip their fingers up under it to open it further. And then he notices a bench just outside her window, seemingly given the idea that she had snuck out of the house the night before with all intentions of coming back that night through that same window. But it was clear that she did not make it back. So at this point, Dave starts to kind of freak out. He calls Mary and has her come home. The two call Wendy's to see if Skylar had planned on coming um, or if she had canceled or something, and they said they hadn't heard from her. So the two called 911 to report Skylar missing. Now, it was during this time that Sheila actually calls Mary, 
And she says, I need to tell you the truth about what happened last night. Now, Mary obviously was pretty confused, but listen to what Sheila had to say anyways. So Sheila says that Skylar, Rachel, and herself had decided to sneak out around 11 p.m. the night before just to ride around and smoke weed. It was around 12 a.m. that Sheila and Rachel dropped Skylar off, but the two didn't drop her off at the apartment complex where Skylar lived. Sheila says that she wanted to be dropped off about two blocks away so that the sound of the car wouldn't wake up her parents. And that was the end of it. Sheila said that was the last they heard from Skylar. Now, obviously, this made her parents even more nervous. They were definitely thinking the worst at this point, I'm sure. But brand new security cameras had just been put in the week before. So they were thinking that all they had to do was go check out the security camera footage around this time and they would be able to see what happened to their daughter. However, after pulling the security cam footage, they didn't exactly see what they were expecting to see. At around 12.30 a.m., they see a car pull into the parking lot across the street from where Skylar's building was. And about five minutes later, they see Skylar run from the building to the car and willingly hop in. Now, obviously, this footage doesn't match the story that Sheila gave. However, when Mary gave Sheila's story to police, and after the security camera footage was looked at, police actually just chopped it up to maybe the cameras didn't actually catch Skylar leaving the apartment with the two girls. Like, maybe she snuck out around 11 p.m. and came back that night around midnight, like Sheila said, and then the cameras caught her leaving a second time. Doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but... That's what they were thinking initially. So police start looking into this car that they see on the camera footage. And unfortunately, they just aren't able to get anything from it. They can't see the license plate. They can't even really tell the color or like the make or the model. And let me just stop right here and say, this is 2012 at this point. Why the freak can you not see clearly in security camera footage? Are we joking? Like... 2012 security camera footage should not be just as bad as 1999. Hello. Like, I would I would say I'm joking, but if you go back and look at security camera footage from the Columbine shooting, the camera footage inside that school, it looks the exact same as this security camera footage here from this. Like, how? I don't understand. I mean, are they trying to not solve murders here? But, whatever. Anyways, this is... Obviously, a pretty crucial point in the investigation, right? So, police have to come to the conclusion that Rachel and Sheila were not the last ones to see Skylar, but it's this mystery person, right? So, that being said, since she got into the car willingly, police could not issue an Amber Alert here. So, at some point, police were thinking this has to be a runaway situation. There was just no other explanation at the time and nothing that could lead police to believe there was foul play involved here. And Skylar's family came to believe this as well. Her parents made pleas to Skylar to come home through the local news stations. They updated Facebook pages begging her to come home, letting her know that she wouldn't be in trouble. Just let us know that you're safe, basically. And and I will say, during this time, there were several people who claimed to have seen Skylar. There were several sightings of what people believed to be her. And police and family would always chase down those sightings, but they all were a dead end. Skylar's other 
friends would make public Facebook pleas as well for Skylar to come home, and they would even message her directly with the hopes of getting a response from her. And they knew that Skylar had a great relationship with her parents, so they just couldn't believe that she would have a reason to leave. They were thinking that maybe, though, she got into a fight with someone and needed to get away for a little while, but they knew she left her family, so there's no way this would be the reason. And I will say, too, that Skylar went completely silent after getting in that car on the security camera. There was no text messages sent out. There was no social media interactions. Nothing. She pretty much went silent after getting in that car. Now, back to Sheila for a second. She definitely seemed to be very concerned for Skylar. She stayed in constant communication with Mary and Dave. She would text or call, asking if they had any updates. She even printed out posters and helped uh, pass those out and put them all over town. She also showed up to the niece home one day um, after Skylar went missing and asked if, asked if she could just go sit in Skylar's room and just have a moment. And when she did, she had a complete breakdown. It was, you know, very sad. I, I wouldn't say it was too abnormal for, you know, a sweet friend to be overwhelmed and worried for her friend. Um, and that being said, Rachel, though, was quite the opposite when it came to Skylar's disappearance. She seemed to really keep her distance from the whole thing. She avoided any conversations about Skylar. She didn't help in trying to find her. And she even went to the lake with her family the day after she went missing. Her family reported that she was on her phone texting back and forth with someone all day. But other than that, she seemed to be completely normal and in an okay mood. She even ended up going to a church camp, as planned, um, a couple of days after her best friend went missing. I mean, she didn't seem too worried about it, right? Now, normally when a teenager goes missing, more often than not, they end up coming back. However, this was not the case for Skylar. Skylar was not showing up anywhere. So, the family started to believe that maybe this wasn't a runaway situation. They were thinking that she didn't take her phone charger her contact solution, money. I mean, she hadn't taken anything she would need if she planned on being gone for any amount of time. And to, and back to the state of her room, the window was cracked. The bench being left under the window, too. It was just pretty clear that, that Skylar intended on returning home that night. And it didn't help that theories were just kind of running rampant everywhere across the town. Between authorities and from the kids that she went to school with, her classmates were thinking that maybe she got drunk at a party and hit her head somewhere and hasn't been found. Then police were thinking she was abducted, obviously, while walking home. Like that was the number one theory in their mind. And none of which had any evidence pointing to that particular scenario. Then there was this wild theory about when two banks were robbed in a neighboring town. People were saying that Skylar had to be one of the people involved and that she was using the money from the bank robbery to buy drugs for a teenage party in this town. And maybe she overdosed on these drugs at this party and the people panicked and dumped her somewhere. Like, I mean, we all know how crazy high school rumors can get. And with something as big as this, I'm sure the rumors could be easily spun out of control. But again, police found zero evidence here that Skylar was involved in the bank robberies and no evidence that she wound up at some high school party. So, when all these wild rumors ended up coming to dead ends, police had no choice but to circle back around to Sheila and Rachel and really just kind of interview them um, and, and talk to them a little further to see if they could find out any more information, right? And their interviews were very odd, to say the least. 
One, Sheila had zero emotion in her interview, which was quite the opposite because we know how involved she was in the search of Skylar and she made all these emotional posts on Facebook. She stayed in touch with Skylar's parents. Her attitude just did not match her supposed emotions leading up to this interview. So that sort of was the first red flag from Sheila, right? Secondly, she constantly was asking questions about the actual investigation, not asking about her friend. More so wanting to know what the police were doing, what they planned on doing next, you know, basically just trying to find out what they already knew. And she would just skim over the questions police would ask her about Skylar, not seeming to be too interested in her friend that is missing here. Now, police were not able to get Rachel in for an interview until the day after they interviewed Sheila. And Rachel's interview, though, was also very strange. She pulled the, I have no idea what you're talking about card. She acted like she had no idea that Skylar was even missing. She claimed that she was gone to this church camp and she just had heard nothing about Skylar's disappearance. Which you're like, okay, yeah, right. <laughs> you haven't spoken to your best friend for over a week and your other best friend clearly knew about it. There's no way you just don't know, quote unquote, your friend is missing. And on top of that, she was acting extremely nervous, which I'll say that's not too strange. I mean, I feel like I would be nervous regardless if I did anything or not. It's one of those things where like when you're coming up on a roadblock at night and you haven't been drinking, you haven't stolen the car you're driving. Like I haven't done anything wrong here, but I still get super nervous. So I get it. But when you add her nervousness on the fact that she just denied knowing anything about her best friend going missing, it's looking like one giant red flag here. And then police go to ask for the official story of what happened the night that Skylar disappeared from her home. And both girls give the same story. And not in the way you think. Like their stories lined up. They were similar. No, no, no. They were verbatim. Both girls gave the exact same story. Like word for word. Almost like it was rehearsed. And this is when everyone started looking at these two girls in relation to the disappearance. Their behavior just seemed to be very, very odd. And David, Dave and Mary Meese told police their true feelings about Sheila, saying that they really looked at her like a second daughter because they had known her for so long. But they did share that they did not like the situation Sheila was getting Skylar into. They said they found Skylar with weed one time, and she told them that Sheila insisted she take it. But all that being said, they knew Sheila was Skylar's best friend, and they tried to be supportive and understanding. But after police started looking closer at Sheila and Rachel, people started coming out of the woodworks with pretty unsettling information. Everyone that described Sheila called her, and I quote, the root of all evil. I mean, what? <laughs> they said that she was sketchy, she was manipulative, very controlling, and everything had to go her way. A friend of Skylar's shared with police that Skylar told her that things had started getting weird between her and the other two girls. She said that she felt like she was being pushed away by the other girls. They would make plans without her or take pictures together, but kind of push Skylar to the back of the picture. And she just said she was starting to feel like the third wheel in her friend group. And then weeks leading up to the disappearance, Skylar was very active on Twitter, posting direct tweets about people being mean for no reason and then 
at 10.40 p.m. the night she went missing, she posted a tweet that read, You doing blank like this is why I will never completely trust you. So clearly directed at someone in particular. So um, it was definitely suggested that she was referring to Sheila or Rachel, obviously. And then they found a video that really kind of gave everyone the chills. This video Skylar took shows the three girls playing a game. Sheila was standing up while the other two girls were sitting down. They were playing a sick and twisted version of Would You Rather? Sheila can be heard asking both girls, Would you rather be shot in the head or suffocated? And the girls were like, shot. Okay. <laughs> and then the next one was drowned or suffocated. And both girls said, oh, that's kind of the same thing, um, but suffocated. Yeah, talk about the hair standing up on the back of your neck, right? I mean, just a few weeks later, one of these girls ends up dead. So this just pushed investigators further to find out exactly what happened between these girls. So police gathered both girls' cell phones to see if there was any evidence they could gather from there. And there was zero mention of Skylar after she went missing. It showed them texting back and forth the night she went missing when they were supposedly with her. There was no mention of her there. And then supposedly nothing after they supposedly found out she went missing. I mean, wouldn't you think two best friends would talk about their other best friend going missing at least once? It's almost as if they were completely avoiding talking about her for whatever reason. Now, Mary and Dave became pretty upset with police for narrowing narrowing in on these two girls. They even told them to back off at one point, but luckily police did not because police went back to the night Skylar went missing and wanted to find out where these two girls were that night because basically they were wanting to confirm their story that they just drove around Star City. And sure enough, Sheila's car was spotted leaving Star City around 12.39 a.m., which, if you remember, this was right around the time that Skylar was seen being picked up from her apartment complex parking lot. Now, Sheila had said in her previous statement to police that neither of them left Star City. She said that they dropped Skylar off and all went home. However, like I said, Sheila's car was seen leaving this area at around 12.40 a.m., and it appears she drove 45 minutes out of the area to Blacksville. Now, when asked about this, their perfectly orchestrated stories began to unravel. When Sheila was questioned about this, she said, oh, yeah, um, I totally forgot. Um, but we had already dropped Skylar off at this point. It was just Rachel and I. But when Rachel was asked, she said, oh, yeah, whoops. Yeah, sorry, I forgot. But we did go to Blacksville, and Skylar was with us. Once Sheila found out that Rachel had told police that Skylar was, in fact, with them in Blacksville, she changes her story, saying, oh, yeah, Rachel's right. She was with us. But we were actually in a town called Brave, which is right over the border of West Virginia in Pennsylvania. But she goes on to say that Skylar randomly decides to just jump out of the car and run into the woods, and we couldn't find her. I mean, these two were just crumbling at this point. Both girls stood strong, though, in their stories and even said they would take polygraph tests. 
Now, Sheila failed hers miserably. It was almost comical how bad she failed this test. But freaking Rachel over here jumps out of her dad's truck while he's driving her to take this test. And she runs away. She literally jumps out of a moving car to avoid taking this polygraph test. So if that doesn't scream guilty, then I don't know what does. Now, this is obviously when crap just kind of hits the fan for these two girls. So, police went to Dave and Mary and gave them all the evidence they collected. And even though Dave and Mary had gone to bat for these two girls originally, they just couldn't deny all the evidence stacked against them. So, police pushed Skylar's parents to question the girls for them. Maybe kind of put a little pressure on them, see if they could get more out of them. Now, obviously, Rachel and Sheila aren't going to go talk to these people, but... What Dave and Mary ended up doing was putting the pressure on them through social media. They started posting about karma and how these two needed to come forward and share more of what they know because they at least knew more than what they were saying. And that started a snowball. Once they started these posts, other people in the community did the same thing. Classmates of the girls and even the parents of these classmates all started coming forward and and sharing on social media the same thing, saying how these girls needed to come forward and just kind of putting the pressure on them and calling them out pretty much. And an anonymous tweet was posted saying, quote-unquote, pretty little liars keep on lying. And eventually, Rachel cracked pretty much after this moment. She cracked in a very big way. She had a nervous breakdown. And I mean an actual breakdown. Rachel's mom calls 911, and you can hear Rachel screaming in the background. It's pretty disturbing. She says that she's outside running around the house, and her mom also tells police that Rachel hit her in the face and that Rachel is extremely suicidal. So authorities came immediately and took her to the hospital. Now, it's unclear exactly what happened at this hospital, but something big clearly did because Rachel did not go home after she was released. She was taken straight to the police station. And as soon as she arrived, her first words were, we stabbed her. On January 16th, 2013, Rachel was escorted into the police department and she gave the true story of what happened that night. And honestly, it's just unbelievable and so heart-wrenching. At this point, the police knew the girls knew something, but none of them ever expected Rachel to walk in and claim the girls killed her. Rachel stated that she and Sheila had been planning to kill Skylar for over a year. They talked about how they couldn't use a gun because neither of them knew how to use one. They said they had to use a knife. They discussed ways of disposing of the body. They discussed how to leave the least amount of evidence possible. They really planned it all out. And after months and months of planning, Rachel finally decided it was time to do it. Apparently, she wanted to go ahead and get it over with before she had to leave for her two-week church camp. You know, go ahead and, and kind of wash yourself <laughs> of your friend and then go to a church camp. Yeah, that makes sense. They packed all of the supplies in the trunk of the car. It included a shovel, some paper towels, bleach, wipes, and a change of clothes. And they both wore sweatshirts. And it was in those sweatshirts that they hid several kitchen knives. 
Now, they lured Skylar out of the house with weed and by saying they were all going to have a good time. And originally, Skylar didn't seem up for it, but Sheila and Rachel ultimately persuaded Skylar to come out with them. And they picked her up around 12.30 a.m. So this was the car we saw in the security footage picking Skylar up. Now, Rachel goes on to say that after picking her up, they drive out of town um, to a town called Brave, just over the state line in Pennsylvania, where Sheila's family has a bunch of land. They eventually came to a spot on this land on an empty road, and the girls got out of the car to smoke weed. Sheila said, oh, wait, we don't have a lighter or something along those lines, though. So Skylar says, oh, I'll just go back to the car and get mine. And as soon as she gets, I mean, excuse me, as soon as Skylar turns her back, Rachel and Sheila counted to three, and they ran up behind her and started attacking her and stabbing her. Skylar did get away for a second, but apparently Rachel chased after her and knocked her down to the ground. They, there are mixed reports on how many times she was actually stabbed, but I've seen numbers as high as 50. But not only did the girls stab her, Rachel says they also slit her throat because they said they read online that slitting someone's throat causes them to die quicker. Now, originally their plan was to bury Skylar's body, but the area they were in was near a creek and there were a bunch of rocks and stone in the ground. So they ultimately just ended up pulling her body about just six feet or six steps from the road and just covering her with sticks, leaves, dirt, grass, you know, all the debris they could find. And from there, they cleaned themselves off in the creek. They changed clothes, wiped off all the knives and everything that they had used to kill Skylar. And they got back in the car and headed home like nothing had happened. Now, obviously, this is huge, but if we've learned anything from killer confessions, that doesn't always seal the deal for investigators. They have to have evidence to confirm the story. And at this point, police had none. However, Rachel was able to take police to Skylar's body. Now, that being said, Sheila has denied everything, and there was no physical evidence that could tie her to the crime. So, police had to figure out how they could connect Sheila to the crime because she was clearly involved. So police came up with a plan to put a wire on Rachel and send her to hang out with Sheila and have her bring up the murder and catch her that way. But Sheila was too smart for that. When Rachel brought it up, Sheila played dumb and acted like she had no idea what she was talking about. (laughs) And the two ended up going about their night, hanging out, taking selfies, seemingly enjoying themselves. Like, they weren't just being questioned in a murder case. Like, one of them didn't just get out of a mental hospital. And, like, Rachel didn't just show police Skylar's body. I mean, what little psychopaths. (laughs) But ultimately, police had to tell Dave and Mary Niece that their daughter had been found and she had been brutally murdered. And shortly after that, the news came out and everyone knew that Skylar was murdered. But... Since Sheila and Rachel were minors, their names could not be put in the media at all. So, no one knew that these two were the suspects. And the day the news came out, Sheila, like the little psychopath she is, took to social media to express her sadness of her friend's passing. She was saying things like, this is the worst day ever. You'll always be my best friend. Rest easy, my Skylar. You know, things like that. Just really laying on thick. And in between those emotional R.I.P. tweets, she posted the most chilling tweet I've ever seen. She said, and I quote, 
we really did go on three. Ugh, how sick. So police took this as her confirming Rachel's story, and they took it as she was just trying to play some sort of game with them, right? Like, haha, you've got nothing on me. You can't pin this on me. Like, I'm just going to mess with you, right? But thank the Lord, they finally were able to get some physical evidence connecting Sheila to the crime. Police had done a forensic analysis on Sheila's car, and the result finally came back showing there was blood splatter found in the trunk of her car, and that blood belonged to Skylar Nice. And that's all the evidence they needed. At this point, Rachel came and turned herself in, and she was arrested right on the spot. And police wanted to find Sheila before she could find out about the evidence they found, just in case she decides to run. And luckily, they tracked her down and arrested her in a Cracker Barrel parking lot. When the girls were asked why they did this, they just said they didn't like her. But they pressed them a little more because that's not really a motive, and they needed a motive for trial. So they end up finding Skylar's diary. And in the summer of 2011, there was a specific event that caused the shift in their friendship. If you remember, I mentioned this earlier and everyone around them could tell something changed during that summer. Well, here it is. The girls were having a sleepover one night and all of them had been drinking. And apparently Sheila and Rachel had a sexual interaction with each other. Skylar's diary gave the suggestion that she had to witness this sexual interaction between her friends because if she left the room, then her parents would know that she had been drinking, so she was forced to stay in there and witness it. Now, this caused a pretty big fight between Sheila and Skylar, and Skylar tweeted that she had dirt on quote-unquote everyone and she was ready to tell it. Now, it's apparent no one ever found out about Sheila and Rachel's sexual relationship, and the three girls ended up continuing their friendship. However, it was the October after this sleepover that Sheila and Rachel started planning the murder of Skylar. It wasn't until June of 2012, though, that Sheila had enough of Skylar. Apparently, the two went on some sort of vacation together, I assume with the families, to Myrtle Beach. They went for about a week, and apparently this week was just terrible. They argued the entire time, and when Sheila got back from this trip, she told Rachel that Skylar had to die. Now, there were people saying that the two girls acted out of desperation because they didn't want their secret to get out. Because Skylar would often tweet whenever the girls got into a fight, she would tweet things like, just know that I know, and things taunting the other girls and suggesting that she could tell their secret at any moment. However, I would say it's pretty obvious that that wasn't an act of desperation. Skylar found out about their sexual relationship a year before they killed her, and they spent a whole year planning a murder. Desperation, quote-unquote, would have been killing her the night of that sleepover or the next day or, like, even shortly after, not a whole year. And on May 1st, 2013, Rachel pled guilty to second-degree murder and publicly apologized to the niece family but Dave niece said to sit on your apology because that's all it's worth I mean good for him now Sheila played the cocky card for a while of course she didn't she pled not guilty at first she showed no remorse in court however she would end up pleading guilty because I'm sure she realized that's the only option she had Rachel was sentenced to 30 years in prison for pleading guilty to second-degree murder, and Sheila, thank the Lord, was sentenced to life. 
A couple of things I want to add about this case is one, supposedly other students and even a teacher overheard Sheila and Rachel talking about killing Skylar. Yeah, apparently it was overheard on a few different occasions and no one took it seriously. So if that's not a huge lesson learned here, I don't know what is. What if one of these people had went to a parent or went to the police and said they overheard these two planning a, a murder? Like, Skylar could still be alive today. So please, 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 if you ever hear anyone discussing a crime, especially as serious as this, please tell someone. At least have it looked into. It's, I mean, the least you could do, you know? You never know. You may could save a life. Um, and second, there is actually a little bit of a light to this story, a little bit of happiness to this story. Skylar's parents passed Skylar's Law in West Virginia. As I mentioned in the beginning of this case, an Amber Alert was not able to be put out when they initially discovered Skylar missing. Skylar's Law makes it to where there does not have to be a burden of proof that an abduction occurred because that was the situation here. They couldn't put out an Amber Alert because nobody witnessed her being abducted. So they didn't know if she was in danger or if she was just a runaway. And with an Amber Alert to be put out, the child has to be under 18. It has to be known that they are in extreme danger or of death or serious injury. And there has to be an abduction witnessed by someone. So good for the niece family to put Skylar's Law in place so alerts can be sent out for missing children regardless of an abduction actually being witnessed. I told you guys it was a crazy one, right? <laughs> Be sure to let me know if you plan on boarding up your little girl's windows and confiscating her phone because <laughs> I would not blame you. But that's it, guys. I hope you enjoyed hearing my voice again, finally. <laughs> Please hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening and be sure to give us a five-star review. That really helps people find the podcast and it helps just spread the word on its own. And one more exciting thing, I will be back this next Monday, one week from today, with another episode for you guys. It's going to be a roundup of local cases in my area in Walker County that were recently solved. And I may throw one or two in there that are still open and just need to be heard. I really think you guys will like it. It'll be a little different, but I wanted to kind of get back on our schedule. So I wanted to put out episodes back to back so you guys, um, one, would have more content and two, so we can get back on our schedule. So be sure to come back next week and check that out. Until then, stay safe out there, guys. Thanks again. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed it. But I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, guys. Bye.